In a world full of lies and deception, it takes courage to speak truth. In a nation half-bent on its own destruction, it takes honor to seek a return to glory. Join us in Cutting Through the Lies and Propaganda. It's time for Cutting Through the Chaos on the America Out Loud Network. Here is your host, Wallace Garneau. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cutting Through the Chaos on the America Out Loud Network. I'm your host, Wallace Garneau, and boy, have I got a show for you today. The first story I want to talk about is uh, called Sue and Settle. I want to go over, this is something the Biden administration is making full use of. The Obama administration made full use of it. Trump tried to slow it down. He actually tried to eliminate it entirely with some success. Uh, I want to go over what Sue and Settle is, the history of it, why this is something that we need to be so very, very worried about. The next thing I want to talk about is an article that was recently put on by The Atlantic that I think is just an amazing example of leftist propaganda. And when I say it's an amazing example, I mean it exactly like that. It's not an amazing article. It's it's actually a very stupid article. Uh, but it's it's this is what the left does. This is what leftist propaganda looks like. And in terms of acting as an example, there's a tremendous amount that we can learn from it. And so I definitely want to go over that article. I'm going to read the article to you, and I'm going to give you my feedback as we go through it piece by piece. And then the last thing I want to do, if we have time, I don't normally bring up the articles that I write. I have a weekly column on America Out Loud. I don't normally talk about the articles that I bring up, but if I write something that I think is particularly poignant, and I think you know, I wouldn't write it if I don't, but if I have something I think is particularly important, uh, I may bring it up on the show. And my most recent article, The World Economic Forum is Marginalized America's Youth, I think I've tripped on uh, kind of a root cause of some of the things that are harming America, threatening our country today. If we have time, we'll bring it up. Uh, if we don't have time, you can find that article. Uh, just go to the America Out Loud Network, click on the menu, look for authors and hosts, look for my smiling face, Wallace Gardo. Click on that, scroll down, it'll be the top article uh, at the time of airing. If you're watching this on podcast, then it may be it may be further down um, in there. But the title is The World Economic Forum Has Marginalized America's Youth, and you'll be able to see that under authors and hosts. So anyway, right into the first, the first section of the show. Sue and Settle. Now, the sue and settle process actually started under Richard Nixon. And what happened was uh, there was a belief that we had what was called agency capture within different federal agencies reporting through the presidency. And that uh, what agency capture is, you probably heard there's a revolving door between, for example, Goldman Sachs and the Federal Reserve. Very, very true. Most or all of the heads of the Federal Reserve have come out of Goldman Sachs Many people in Goldman Sachs go into the Federal Reserve. When they leave the Federal Reserve, they go right back to Goldman Sachs. Uh, the Federal Reserve could arguably be called an extension of Goldman Sachs. You can make a pretty good case that the head of the Fed is almost as powerful as the President of the United States, at least in terms of the economy of the United States. And you could almost make the argument that the head of Goldman Sachs is as powerful as the President of the United States in terms of Federal Reserve policy. So there is definitely a revolving door between the Federal Reserve and Goldman Sachs. Well, there's also revolving doors between all of our federal regulatory agencies and those that they regulate. And to some degree, that's, that's, it's impossible not to have that. Because if I want to regulate, for example, agriculture, who knows agriculture? 
I have to go out and get people that know agriculture in order to, to regulate agriculture. I need people who know the industry. If I want to regulate natural gas and oil, I need people who know that industry to help me regulate it. So, of course, as I look for qualified people to act as regulators, to run an agency regulating it and to, to actively regulate those organizations, I need people that know the industry. So, of course, I'm looking for people that I think are good actors within the industry that I can bring into my administration to act in a regulatory uh, capacity and, and then to regulate those industries. I don't just want to pull somebody off the street that doesn't know anything about it. Or, you know, maybe if I'm Joe Biden or Justin Trudeau or something, maybe I do want to do that. You know, get Pete Buttigieg, for example, Mr. Pothole Pete, as they called him when he was the mayor of uh, Indianapolis. Maybe I do want to take somebody who doesn't know what they're doing and put them in if I'm, you know, on the political left, because that's what they seem to do. You know, DEI and what have you. We don't need people who know what they're doing. We we, we need people that are gay and, and, and what have you. So pothole Pete, you know, all the way. Uh, but no, if I'm a sane person, if I want to actually not have potholes, maybe the person in charge of uh, the Department of Transportation should know a little bit about cars and trains and airplanes and what have you. So that's what you would expect is that you're going to be pulling people from that industry to help you regulate it but you need to get good people and so under nixon what they were finding is that because of this round door this revolving door between the regulators and the regulatees that you you had was sometimes called agency capture where an agency may be overly sympathetic perhaps on the verge of being run by the people that it is regulating and, and so what happened is you began having organizations and individuals that would sue the regulators, the regulatory agencies, and, and try to force them to, to do their jobs. As in many cases, they were, they were not actively doing their jobs. The Department of Justice, for example, in the 50s, was, uh, was, was, was pretending that the, the mafia, which at the time was in its heyday, did not exist. And, and so if you wanted to go after the mafia, you had to get the Department of Justice on board with that. And I don't believe anybody sued the Department of Justice to get them to go after the mafia. But it's a good example of agency capture where the Department of Justice was pretending there was no mafia. And as a consequence, they weren't doing anything about the mafia. And you see the same thing like with environmental pollution. Uh, when I was a kid, I've said this before on the show, Lake Erie would sometimes spontaneously catch on fire. So would the Detroit River. All of the chemicals from the car companies and other factories up and down Detroit area, you know, the, all of that would, would run into the Detroit River and those pollutants floating on top of the river, sometimes they would just run into each other and spontaneously ignite. So very, very polluted river. And at the time, the automotive industries had every incentive to try to prevent the EPA from getting ever overly involved and, and preventing the pollution. They felt they were saving money by being able to just let the pollutants run into the river. Well... This is the sort of thing that we allow companies, that we allow individuals and organizations to sue regulators to prevent, make them do their jobs. And I'm not a big fan of the EPA. I think it's gotten way too big and, and way too obtrusive. Uh, but at the same time, I eat walleye out of the out of the Detroit River and out of Lake Erie. And when I was a kid, you would never have dreamed of doing that. So you know, I'm at least happy that we've cleaned up the environment, and I, I recognize that regulatory authority has had some impact there, and that, that you know, we can't just have people doing everything they want. They're obviously, we're a country. We have to have laws. Laws have to be enforced. But sue and settle goes well, well, well beyond 
preventing agency capture or going after agency capture where it's occurred. It goes way beyond that. Uh, Sue and Settle, this is what's happening right now with Sue and Settle, and this really became popular in the second term under Obama, and and Joe Biden has been doing this like crazy. His administration, that is, is, has been doing it like crazy as well. Uh, This is an example where, for example, uh, an organization called Wild Earth Guardians sue the the Bureau of Land Management and uh, in a settlement, uh, in a consent decree settlement that the two parties came up with, four million acres of land in the western states was taken off limits for energy exploration. So no natural gas, no oil, nothing can come out of those four million acres of land in, in, in the western United States thanks to this consent decree that was put together uh, with Wild Earth Guardians. Another example, the Sierra Club sued uh, the Department of, excuse me, sued uh, the EPA uh, and, and came up with a consent decree, uh, you know, settled out of court again, a consent decree that uh, takes 6 million acres of the Gulf of Mexico seabed offline for exploration of, of natural gas or oil or any kind of energy. So what they're doing is, uh, in many cases, the EPA or the Bureau of Land Management may actually be working with these organizations on drafting up these suits. And what they're doing is, instead of going through Congress, instead of having the president stick his neck out and say, no, I'm going to take land away from exploration so that we can't have gas, we can't have natural gas and oil, instead of having the president stick his neck out and do it publicly, instead of relying on Congress to do its job, what they do is they work with these organizations like Wild Earth Guardians and the Sierra Club to create lawsuits against the EPA or against the Bureau of Land Management or against really any regulatory agency. And then they come up with a consent decree, an out-of-court arrangement that they, they, the court then puts in place that they've, they've agreed on. They settle the case through the consent decree, and they're able to uh, essentially create regulatory authority without creating any regulations. They don't have to go through Congress there's no input from the citizens. It's not a part of the democratic process. With the revolving door between the regulators and the regulatees, uh, you're able to do things that you would, it just, the whole thing, it's just bypassing the regulatory process entirely. It bypasses Congress. It bypasses the president. Uh, they even have a term for it, and that term is called lawfare. So you think warfare, well, this is lawfare. You want to shut down fossil fuels, don't go to Congress because they're probably not going to pass anything. Turns out we need fossil fuels. Don't go to the president because he's going to have a hard time getting reelected if he says, I'm going to make gasoline cost $6 a gallon. So don't go to the president. No, sue the EPA, come up with a consent decree that the EPA would love to have anyway because they're, you know, they become power hungry mongrels that want to take us away from, from, they want to eliminate fossil fuels. And that's what you do is you get a consent decree that they want to give you anyway. They may even help you draft the suit that you're going to sue them under. So that's that's what they do. Agency capture, you know, they're fighting it, and they, so they sue and settle. And uh, and the, these consent decrees are just, it's, it's a way to to regulate without, without actually writing regulations. It allows you to go much further than you would do through regulatory authority. Uh, it's only pseudo-legal, and it's, it's happening all over the place. Now, in two, the 2017, under, under uh, Donald Trump, Scott Pruitt, who was the head of the EPA, the EPA chief at the time, he actually made an order pre- preventing this from happening. There no sue and settle. He said, we're not going to settle anything. If they want to take us to court, we're actually going to go to court, and we're going to, we're going to fight those sorts, of, those sorts of things. So it didn't entirely stop 
the the whole the process is soon settled because uh, all the regulatory agencies they're not you know Trump may be president and he may be able to put somebody in charge of the EPA, uh, but most of the employees of the EPA are unionized. You can't just fire them. You have to go through all they've got all the union protections and and so. You can't just fire them, and that limits what Scott Pruitt was able to do in terms of stopping Sue and Settle. So they slowed it down a great deal, but it never entirely went away under Trump. And then when uh, Biden took over, he put Michael Regan in charge of the EPA, and uh, now we're doing Sue and Settle on steroids. Most of the regulations that are being put in place now are being put in place completely behind the back of the public, and... uh, it's being done through sue and settle. Organizations and individuals are suing the EPA. They're suing the Bureau of Land Management, and uh, and and they're they're putting they're they're regulating away our access to fossil fuels and uh, our ability to explore for fossil fuels without any reg- without going through regulatory channels, without without going through Congress, without going through the president, uh, without do without any of that. And uh, now it's a crazy thing. Uh, now, another area we see this are uh, sanctuary cities, sanctuary states, and pro-migrant organizations suing, for example, the Department of Homeland, Homeland Security, suing states and cities. New York City is, is, is uh, one of the reasons why they have to give so many things for free to migrants is because advocacy groups for migrants have sued the city, and the city in the past came up with consent degrees in which they have to give free food, free housing, free health care, all of these different things for free to migrants. And uh, now that they're getting a large influx of migrants, all of a sudden these consent decrees matter, and, and they're having to spend tons of money on this. So it's not just something that's done to eliminate fossil fuels or to, to try to regulate our environment. Uh, they're doing this all over the place for all kinds of different things. If you have an advocacy group and you want to force the government to do some to do some kind of regulation that you want that goes against the interests of the people, if you can find sympathetic regulators that are willing to sign a consent decree, you can get them to work with you and uh, you get what you want. Uh, you could. This is the whole thing. This is this is about as corrupt as corruption gets, and and, and that's what we're seeing. Uh, under Gina McCarthy, the Department of Natural Resources, the, the whole thing, the Center of Biological Diversity, the, the organizations that are doing this became popular under Obama with Gina McCarthy in charge of the EPA. And uh, it's just been getting worse and worse and worse, with the exception when Trump was president ever since. So that's sue and settle, and uh, it's something that should scare us a great deal. It's a terrible, terrible thing, and yet this is how they're, they're regulating us. Uh, if Trump gets reelected, he'll try to stop it, be a major. It would probably take him several years to bring it to a complete close because, again, when Scott Pruitt put an order in telling the EPA not to settle, it slowed it down. It did not entirely stop it. And the fact of the matter is uh, the president's just one person. The, uh, Joe Biden has, has been putting people in place. He's been making it easier for uh, regulators to, to, to unionize, to make them harder to fire, and... Uh, Whoever we elect, it's an uphill battle because uh, the Biden administration is trying to hamstring the next president in, in, in trying to make any kinds of changes at all. Uh, you know, it's absolutely crazy. And it leads right into the next segment that I want to get into, which is this article in The Atlantic. The title of the article is A War on Blue America, and it's by Ronald Brownstein. 
the subtitle is, in the second term, Trump would punish the cities and states that don't support him. This is an amazing piece of propaganda. I want to read it to you. It's not very long. And I want to give you my my feedback as we read it. So I'll go ahead and I'll start, I'll, I'll open this up and then, and then I'll tell you what, uh, what my thoughts are. It opens up, it says, during his term in the White House, Donald Trump governed as a wartime president with blue America rather than any foreign country as the adversary. He sought to use national authority to achieve factional ends, to impose the priorities of red America onto Democrat-leading states and cities. The, agent, the agenda Trump has laid out for a second term makes clear that those bruising and divisive efforts were only preliminary skirmishes. That's the first paragraph of the article, and right there, there's a, a lot of propaganda already in it. Trump was a wartime president, but he wasn't fighting foreign countries, which we know because he was the first president in a long time not to start any foreign wars. No, rather, he made the United States the adversary. Blue America, not all of the United States, not red America, blue America. Incidentally, there's a piece of propaganda right there. Why is red America now, why are the Republicans red when red is generally communism? Well, the reason is because communism has given red a bad name, and so they flip the, the colors that are in use in order to allow the Democrats not to be associated with that. So there's propaganda right there out of the gate. That's the reason why we use red and blue the way we do with the United States, because red gained a negative connotation, and the Democrats allow the Republicans then to, to uh, have to accept that negative connotation on them. So that's the first piece of propaganda is the whole red-blue thing. Uh, but the, the concept of Trump using national authority to achieve factional ends and uh, being a wartime president, well, who locked up over a thousand people for trespassing uh, in the Capitol building and, and kept them? In some cases, some of them are still there, and it's been three years. But who did that? Was that Trump? Which, which, which party caused all of the riots after uh, the whole George Floyd thing. Which party shut down American cities? Which party is, you know, we, we had one party that was an open revolt for the entire term, of entire, entire all of Trump's first term. You had people like Nancy Pelosi, Maxine Waters, you had all of these Democrats that were openly encouraging rebellion against the United States. You had people that were, you had these 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 autonomous zones popping up. They were declaring that they were not even a part of the United States. That wasn't Trump. That wasn't Trump. And, and so, you know, Joe Biden's locking Americans up for trespassing and holding them for years. We're investigating parents under the Biden administration for being upset about what their, what their children are being taught in schools. So Trump's a wartime president. No, Trump wasn't a wartime president. Trump was just trying to restore a little bit of sanity to the country. Yeah, you know, let's face it. Blue America is insane. Let's just face facts. You don't want to enforce the law. It's legal to steal from stores up to $1,000 in most of California. Let's, let's just be real. These people want us to eat crickets, for God's sake. Let's just be real here. Wartime America is the political left. It's not the political right. Trump was was the the least wartime president that we have had in my lifetime. So you know, does was was he trying to, for example, make Chicago safe? Chicago's a war zone, people. You are more apt to get killed in a weekend in Chicago than in a weekend in Baghdad. We have parts of the world that are at war, literal war, that are safer than some of our cities. Now. Did, is, is Trump just supposed to sit idly back and allow that to happen? I mean, seriously? So, you know, 
the wartime president that that would be that would be Barack Obama, Mr. Radical Transformation. That would be Joe Biden, who's actually locking up Americans on purely political grounds. Look at what they're doing to Trump. I I challenge people regularly on Facebook. I say, you know what? If you think these charges against Trump are legitimate, you pick the case that you think is the strongest. Let's talk about it. I'll openly debate you on this. You bring your arguments. I'll bring my arguments. Let's see whether or not that really holds any water. And so far, nobody's taken me up on that because I think deep down inside, they know they would lose. Not because I'm an articulate person, because they're on the losing side of the argument. These are all trumped up charges. I mean, none of these things, some of them may stick you know, in, in initially, but, but none of these are going to win an appellate court. Trump is eventually going to beat all of these. That's just a fact. Anyway, getting back into the article, it, re- it continues, Presidents always pursue policies that reflect the priorities of the voters and regions that supported them. I'm thinking abortion myself here, which, you know, Roe versus Wade was a great way to shove down the throat of all of America. But Trump moved in especially aggressive ways to exert control over or punish the jurisdictions that resisted him. His 2017 tax bill, otherwise a windfall for taxpayers in the upper brackets, capped the federal deductibility of state and local taxes. A costly shift for wealthy residents of liberal states such as New York and California. I'm going to stop reading here because this is this is this is another interesting little piece of, of propaganda. Now they're complaining that Trump's tax breaks for the wealthy were not for the wealthy. <laughs> I mean, people, come on. Yeah, he capped how much you could deduct from from your state and local taxes from your federal taxes in a way that only hit rich people. And obviously that is going to have an impact on rich people where state taxes are the highest. So but now the now the Atlantic, which is always in favor of of, of taxing the rich, is is upset that Trump did not tax the rich. People you can't make this up. Back to the article. He moved with mixed success to deny federal law enforcement grants to so-called sanctuary cities that didn't fully cooperate with federal immigration agents. He attempted to strip California of the authority as wielded since the early 1970s to set its own more stringent pollution standards. Okay, so now they're accusing him of trying to force state and local governments to allow federal authority to, to, to enforce federal law, such as uh, deporting felons, in that that uh, that that are here illegally, you know, if you're here illegally, you commit a felon, you should be deported. That to me is not rocket science. I think if you're here illegally, there should be at least a possibility of being deported anyway. Am I in favor of Trump deporting millions of people? I think that's a complicated issue that we need to have a discussion about. It's a much easier discussion to have though if we have a secure border than if we don't. So, you know. Yeah, Trump wants to enforce federal law, and he wants to enforce federal law throughout the country. Gee, so do the Democrats. So they're accusing Trump here of doing the kinds of things that that Democrats are doing right now today. Uh, He wants to strip California the authority to set its own stringent pollution standards. California doesn't have the authority to set its own stringent pollution standards. That's a violation of, you know, pollution standards are set by the federal government. California, you know, you have interstate commerce for a reason, and, and pollution standards that California sets that then become the, the de facto law for the entire country, they're not supposed to have that authority. So that's just Trump doing his job, trying to prevent California from doing what it began doing under Jimmy Carter, that it should never have been able to do in the first place. Article continues. In Trump's final year in office, he opened a new, more ominous front in his campaign to assert control over blue jurisdictions. As the nation faced the twin shocks of the coronavirus pandemic and the protests that followed the murder of George Floyd, 
Trump repeatedly dispatched federal law enforcement agents to blue cities, usually over the opposition of Democratic mayors, governors, or both. Trump sent an array of federal personnel to Portland, Oregon, ostensibly to protect a federal courthouse amid the city's chaotic protests. Reports soon emerged of camouflage-clad federal agents without any identifying insignia, forcing protesters into unmarked vans. Trump responded to the huge racial justice protests in Washington, D.C. by dispatching National Guard troops drawn from 11 states, almost all of them led by Republican governors. Later, he sent other federal law enforcement officers to combat rising crime in Kansas City and Chicago, a city Trump described as worse than Afghanistan. Oh, so Trump then was trying to protect people in Democrat areas where the mayors and governors were not protecting their own citizens. What a terrible person Trump must be to want to prevent kids from getting shot in Chicago. Come on, people. Of course he was doing that. What was really happening here was, was, was Democrat prosecutors, Democrat mayors, Democrat governors were allowing looting, rioting. They were allowing our streets to be crime-ridden. It was like a Batman movie. That's how bad it was. CNN was talking mostly peaceful protesting. They couldn't even get a camera angle that didn't have buildings on fire. They're telling us it's mostly peaceful. Any president who cares about the citizens of this country is going to want to stop that kind of rioting and lawlessness, is going to want to stop the gun violence plaguing so many American cities. The idea that Trump was doing something wrong with is, is, is asinine. Washington, D.C., they burned down a church across the street from the president. The rioting got so bad at one point that Trump had to be evacuated to the bunker underneath the White House because the protesters were on the verge of getting through the gates out of the White House grounds. Uh, two Supreme Court justices, when they were uh, when they were not on the nomination process through the Senate, you want to talk about you know, Democrats protesters shut down Congress on both those occasions for Brett Kavanaugh and uh, Amy uh, Comey Barrett, and and you know just like on January six, except that Democrats didn't care. So Chicago is worse than Afghanistan in terms of of the chance of you're getting shot. We have cities that are war zones. Of course he wants to stop that. The idea that Trump was doing anything wrong there is asinine. Anyway, the article continues. Trump has signaled in the second presidential term he would further escalate his war on blue America. He again prom- He's again promising federal legislation that would impose policies popular in red states onto the blue states that have rejected them. He has pledged to withhold federal funding from schools teaching critical race theory and gender ideology. He says he will initiate federal civil rights investigations into liberal big city prosecutors whom he calls Marxist local district attorneys and require cities to adopt policing policies favored by conservatives such as stop and frisk as a condition for receiving federal grants. Now, some of these just aren't true. Trump has not called for stop and frisk. It's, that's, just, that's just not true. Now, he has said that you have to actually prosecute people for violating the law if you want to receive federal funding. Well, who started that? It was Democrats that started using federal money as a way to, to uh, try to force uh, Republican governors to do Democrat things. They say if you don't like the way that we're, if if you don't want to follow our rules with how you treat convicts in prison, we're going to take away your prison funding. We're going to take away your school funding. We're going to take away your road funding. We are taxing you more money than we need at the federal level so that we can fund state things, so that we can prov- we can we can take away your state money in order to force in order to take more authority over you than we legally have. That was started by Democrats. All Trump is doing is saying, I'm going to do that to fix our schools. I'm going to do that to make the American streets safe. I'm going to do that to make you teach the truth in schools. This notion that Republicans don't want slavery taught in schools. Yeah, we do. We just want to teach. We want American history taught accurately. 
the good, the bad, and the ugly. What a lot of Democrats, what a lot of liberals want to do is they want to skip the good. They just want to teach the ugly. That's, that's just not fair. Was Thomas Jefferson a slave owner? Yes, he was actually also an abolitionist. He came very, very close as the governor of uh, Virginia, uh, before he was president of the United States, getting Virginia to ban slavery. He, got, he was within like two or three votes of having Virginia ban slavery statewide. As president, he banned the importation of new slaves into the United States. So yeah, he was a slave owner. He was also an abolitionist. They were complicated times. They were complicated people. People are still complicated today. The concept of people being complicated is nothing new. The world is complicated. And in trying to simplify everything into a simple matter of America bad, that's just not legitimate. That may be what Black Lives Matter wants. That may be what so many people that hate this country and want to bring it down to its knees. That may be what the globalists want because they don't like personal freedom. But it's not what the it's not what America is about. Uh, it's and it's it's certainly not what uh, what the American people want. And now we're getting into the break, so we'll continue this on the other end of it. I want to talk a bit about a product my wife and I are using called Heal Right Health from Within. Daily micronutrient bar designed to simplify your daily regimen. They have evidence-based results. It supports a healthy metabolism. It's for optimal gut performance. 20-plus essential vitamins and minerals and proprietary fiber blend. Uh, my wife and I both, unfortunately, prefer the chocolate cherry pomegranate one. I say unfortunately because if we both gravitate toward that, then... Uh, that's the one we're going to run out of. And we're trying all of the different flavors. They're all very, very good. We just both happen to like this one. Uh, I've tried all of them at this point. They're all delicious. They don't taste like micronutrient bars. They don't taste like health food. They actually, they're, they, they taste like candy bars. And uh, they're, they're, they're delicious. As far as uh, reducing the gut, I've only been taken for a week. I have not seen that yet, but I do have to believe that it boosts your metabolism, as it says, because about an hour after I take the bar every day, all of a sudden, I, I just, I don't want to say I feel younger because that, that implies more than just more mental acuity, but I, I feel like my brain is younger, like it's just operating uh, at a faster level. And uh, I attribute that to the bar because it's consistent. I eat a bar you know, maybe uh, about 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, some point after lunch, and uh, an hour later, all of a sudden, part of a day where maybe I tend to, to maybe want to take a nap, I don't want to take a nap. All of a sudden, it's like I, I have this boost of, of mental acuity. I just feel I feel sharper than than I normally do and or than I have in years. And, and so, yeah, I think these bars work. And uh, so we'll take a moment. We'll allow our sponsors to, uh, to, to sell us some of their products. And uh, so stay tuned. And uh, Cutting Through the Chaos will be right back. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Cholesterol, blood pressure, blood sugar, inflammation, and weight. These are all real-world problems that 87% of Americans are struggling with. Fight back with HealRight. HealRight is a bar you eat, but it's food as medicine that addresses the nutritional root cause of health issues in just eight weeks. Take action today. Visit HealRight.com outloud or AmericaOutloud.shop and use the code OUTLOUD for 20% off. The buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health. 
Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Who's got time for a nasal invasion messing up your lifestyle? Crush those nasties before they become a problem. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order with the coupon code OUTLOUD, you'll receive 20% off the entire purchase. Go to americaoutloud.shop. That's americaoutloud.shop and use coupon code OUTLOUD. Use Cofix RX because it works. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com Code out loud for 25% off. Expert opinions, honest debate, and in-depth investigations are what you've come to expect from AmericaOutloud.news. We don't shy away from speaking the truth boldly and plainly. All that's missing is the propaganda that has infected legacy and social media. Get the best of down and dirty, wholesome. American speak. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to the second half of the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Wallace Garneau, your host. You are on Cutting Through the Chaos on the America Out Loud Network. And uh, I just want to get right back into this article. Uh, So I'll continue reading. Even more dramatic are Trump's open pledges to launch militarized law enforcement campaigns inside blue cities. He has proposed initiatives that cumulatively could create an occupying federal force in the nation's largest cities. Trump has indicated that in cities where there's been a complete breakdown of public safety, I will send in federal assets, including the National Guard, until law and order is restored. Trump envisions an even more invasive door-to-door offensive against undocumented immigrants. In an early 2023 speech at the Conservative Political Action Conference, Trump said he will use all necessary state, local, federal, and military resources to carry out the largest domestic deportation operation in American history. Stephen Miller, who was his top immigration aide in the White House, later added that Trump envisions establishing massive internment camps for undocumented immigrants awaiting deportation. Trump has also promised to use every tool, lever, and authority to get the homeless off our streets and move them to camps as well. On this front, Trump has said he would work with states, but in practice that would likely involve partnering with Republican governors to impose policies that clear the streets opposed by their own Democratic mayors. Michael Nutter, a former mayor of Philadelphia, told me that if a re-elected Trump sought to implement these policies, the result would be chaos, confusion, and massive demonstrations. Nobody is going to allow that to just happen, Nutter said. You are going to see a standoffs. It's going to be the Philadelphia Police Department versus the National Guard. 
Neighbors are going to be surrounding people's houses. Folks are going to rush and seek safety in churches and synagogues and mosques and temples. Of course, Trump would face other obstacles in attempting to implement these plans. The president's legal authority to deploy federal forces over the objections of local officials is murky. And the relatively small number of federal law enforcement officers under his direct control at agencies such as U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement and Customs and Border Protection could limit his options, according to Richard Brifault, a professor at Columbia University Law School who studies relations among city-states and the federal government. But in Trump's final months in office, he got creative about augmenting the forces at his command by drawing on National Guard troops provided by sympathetic Republican governors. His advisors were already talking about doing the same to stab his deportation agenda, as well as using the emergency authority he cited to fund his border wall to build his camps for undocumented immigrants without congressional approval. Brifault told me that the inevitable court challenges to any Trump-ordered projections of force into blue cities would likely pivot on the court's interpretation of how much authority the president possesses under various emergency statutes, his advisors have already discussed invoking the 19th Century Insurrection Act, for example. As legal scholars have pointed out, the scope of the president's emergency powers is much broader than most Americans recognize, and Trump is clearly signaling that if he returns to the White House, he intends to test the outer boundaries of that authority. The question for the courts would be to what extent can he engage directly in law enforcement and having militarized law enforcement in the United States in the absence of a request by a governor or mayor that there is a riot-like condition or civil disorder, Brifault said. Can he declare an emergency even though he's not being asked for it? As president, Trump seemed to view himself less as the leader of a unified republic than as the champion of a red nation within a nation, one that constitutes the real America. If anything, Trump has assumed that factional role even more overtly in his 2024 campaign, promising that he will deliver retribution for his supporters and dehumanizing his opponents. Powered by such fetid resentments and grievances, the agenda Trump seeks to impose on blue cities and states could create the greatest threat to the nation's cohesion since the Civil War. And that is the end of the article. Now, one thing you might notice is that Trump is being accused of all of the same things that Democrats are doing under Biden today, that Democrats continuously do. The sue and settle that we talked about in our first segment, for example, this is Democrats and Democrat agencies forcing the federal government to do things the federal government wants to do but doesn't have the regulatory authority to do, and then going into consent decrees with federal agencies in order to allow them to do that. Circumventing state law, circumventing local law, uh, taking organizations that already have the authority, for example, to explore for natural gas and oil, uh, and, and taking that authority away from them so that they, they no longer can do that. And, you know, that has a cumulative effect in that it takes, on average, about six years to go from exploration, assuming you find anything, to being able to start making money off of what you found, so if you don't believe that you're going to have the ability to, to, to pull oil or natural gas out of the ground six years after you, more than a presidency, a, president, a presidential term and a half from the time that you start the expiration, you're not going to invest in the expiration in the first place. So just the threat of taking that away has a dramatic effect on limiting our ability to, to look for natural gas and, and what have you. Uh, Democrats, you know, ignoring federal law when it comes to immigration, refusing to work with ICE, refusing to work with Department of Homeland Security on taking even felons uh, that are here illegally and, and turning them over to the federal authorities that they are legally required to turn them over to. 
states and local governments refusing to, to enforce. You know, when, when you're a prosecutor, you swear an oath to, to, to uphold the law to the best of your ability, and, and they're not doing that. They're swearing an oath to uphold the law and then ignoring it and saying, you know what, we're just not going to prosecute the law. Well, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be a country of laws. This is supposed to be a republic. We have an insurrection that is occurring in our country in blue states right now. When we have blue presidents, they try to enforce it over the United States as a whole. You know, everything Joe Biden keeps saying that he's going to try to that Joe Biden keeps using authority he does not have to do things in the state to to do things all over the country that he doesn't have the authority to do. He said himself he doesn't have the authority to write off student debt, and yet he keeps writing off student debt. So we're seeing everything that this article is talking about right now. And in terms of deportations, when you're importing three million people a month as many as in December of last year. What do you expect? We have to do something. Right now, if we were to do a census, based on Joe Biden's uh, guidance that we have to count illegal immigrants in our census reports, thus giving areas with illegal immigrants more representation in the House of Representatives, we're looking at 22 members of the House of Representatives effectively representing illegal immigrants. Now, that's asinine. These people can't vote. They certainly shouldn't be counted in terms of how many people are in the House of Representatives. That also would be 22 uh, additional uh, presidential electors in the Electoral College that are effectively representing illegal immigrants. So, you know, they're, they're moving these people around. They're not moving them around the country randomly. They are intentionally putting these people in areas uh, for, for for political purposes. They're putting them in, in areas where they think maybe they can flip a state if they get enough people to vote against Republicans, to vote Democrat. So in Republican states, but Democrat cities, they're sending them there, hoping to get them to vote. They, they can't legally vote, but in some cities they can vote in local elections. And of course, the local ballots also have federal elections. So they just give them a ballot, they vote. They're also sending them to Democrat areas where they want to increase the numbers of people in the House of Representatives. So, for example, California, its, it's population, even with illegal immigration, is shrinking in spite of the wonderful weather there. First time ever, California's population has been shrinking. And they're trying to boost those numbers by, by sending illegal immigrants there. And so they're moving these people around the country, you know, and in, they're, they're doing it intentionally. It's not random. They're doing it with political purposes. And, uh, you know, with an open border, if we close the border, we could have a rational conversation about what to do about the millions of people that are here illegally. What is a humane way of, of, of handling that? But the first thing we have to do is shut the border before we can even have a rational conversation. As long as the border is wide open, deportations have to be at least on the table as a negotiating tool, because otherwise, what are you going to use to negotiate getting the border shut down? In terms of the Biden administration trying to flip the script and saying that Republicans are at fault for it, that's garbage. Uh, Dr. Phil uh, was, was down at the border. He came back and told everybody what the border agents are saying. They don't need money. They don't need more personnel. They don't need more laws. They just need permission to enforce the laws that they have. So this article is wonderful propaganda 
of the left trying try to flip the script and blame Republicans for problems they're causing, blaming Republicans for all kinds of things that they're doing themselves. Maybe Trump wants to do some of those things too. Maybe they need to be done. But in this case, it's Democrats blaming Republicans for what Democrats are doing and, 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 and then blaming us for problems they're causing. And it's just, this is, this is it's, it's pure propaganda. And, uh, and, and it's, it's, uh, I wanted to read you that article so you could see just how bad that propaganda is. It's all about orange man bad, and uh, they're not even being rational about it. And now the last thing I want to talk about is this root cause analysis I have and what I think is causing the most damage to the United States. I'm not just going to read the article to you. The article is out there on the America Out Loud Network. It is titled, The World Economic Forum has Marginalized America's Youth. What I do with the article is I, I say that the United States is dying, and I tell you that the reason it's dying is because uh, we, have re- we have replaced Christianity, or in the process of replacing Christianity in the country with a form of hedonistic narcissism. And what I mean by that is that Christianity is focused externally in the world around us, whereas the new version of spirituality, you know, we're spiritual beings. You don't just go from being a Christian country to not having spirituality. Even atheists, in many cases, have a form of spirituality. Uh, But this new spirituality that is coming up, particularly amongst America's youth, it's focused internally. And when you take a spirituality and and you focus it internally with no external impact on the world around you, it inherently becomes narcissistic. And so through that, we're seeing as the American youth largely worshiping themselves. A famed historian Will Durant wrote that societies need two out of three things to survive. They need a shared language, they need a shared culture, and or a shared religion. They don't need all three, but they need two. Now, Christianity used to be a shared religion that we had. We used to have an American culture, and we used to, you know, for the most part, speak English. We don't have a national language, and uh, as you move around the country, you'll find more areas where English is not the language being spoken on the streets, so we're losing the shared language. We've already lost our shared culture. We're becoming a multicultural society, so by by definition, we are losing the sense of a shared culture, and we've already largely lost uh, a shared religion. So we're at the point now where the three things that societies need to survive, we don't have any of those things. We're on the verge of losing all three of those things. And one of the things that happens, Will Durant doesn't really get into much detail about why those things are important, but one of the big reasons they're important is because if you don't have particularly a shared culture and a shared religion, you start losing a sense of a shared morality. Morality, a Christian morality, or really a morality defined by any religion, is a morality that just exists in the world. It's, it's, it's a morality that is, is, is out there. We don't control the morality. It's a, you have standards that are considered universal within the society. You have a right and wrong that is virtually, you know, everybody pretty much agrees on. And, and, and that creates a structure for the society in terms of that's what's moral and, and that's what, what everybody follows. When you start to break away from that culture and, that, and, that, and, and from religion, what you end up with is a loss of any objective standard of morality. And all of a sudden, everybody has, it's define morality however they want. You end up with, at a societal level, you end up with, and I wish, I wish atheists would understand this. Atheists love to say that you can be a moral person without religion. And you can. You can be a moral person without religion. That is absolutely true. What is difficult, though, is having a societal morality without religion, or at least without culture. You don't have to be a Christian. You just have to be culturally Christian and agree with a Christian sense of morality. Um, but if you lose that, 
if you lose that idea of morality being external, that we don't control, that we just have to follow, then everybody gets to define it for themselves, and any sense of a societal morality becomes the morality of the lowest common denominator, which is essentially the same thing as not having any morality at all. Well, is it any surprise that the young people in a society that... That, that, that teaches that you get to choose your own morality, is it any surprise that they would decide to be hedonistic? That they would decide to be narcissistic? That they would turn it into being about them? And that what would become the new morality would be kind of an upside-down morality in which in, in which the, the public morality, the societal morality in much of America is now about normalizing hedonism to please the narcissists who are living through a, a hedonistic world? That's what we're seeing, people. We're seeing hedonism getting normalized. That's why we have drag queens uh, dressed in, in Satanist garb reading stories to, to young children in, in, in public libraries. That's why we're seeing that. We're seeing that because tolerance for, immor for immorality and immoral behavior is, is becoming the only moral virtue that uh, much of America believes in, which makes intolerance of sin immoral. So we're flipping morality and, and immorality around. Now, if you're a Christian, you believe that the pleasure of the, of the flesh can be sinful. Now, we believe in, in uh, as a Christian, I believe that I live of the Spirit and that the Spirit needs to control the flesh because the flesh has sinful desires. In the Spirit, I can be close to God through Jesus Christ and I can try to live a... a I'm never going to be able to live a life like Jesus. I'm never going to be perfect like Jesus. But I can try to be closer to that today than I was yesterday. And I can try to be closer to that tomorrow than I am today. And, and I can have faith that God, and through Jesus Christ, that, that they will help me with this, that I will become a better person over time. And I can, through my free will, I can give up my, my freedom to commit sin such that when I go to heaven, you can't have sin in heaven. I have to give up my right to commit sin to get to heaven. And so it's, I understand that, and that's how I live my life. When you throw all that away and you all even throw away the underlying morality, then uh, you know the wheels come off the bus, and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing people that take hedonism, which is all about the pleasure of the flesh, and saying that allowing people to be hedonistic is what is morally virtuous. And so we have to throw the covenant out the window and, and just allow people to make personal choices in their own world. And, and so hedonistic narcissism is what's driving the ship. The problem with hedonism, though, is that it doesn't provide any purpose. The, the seeking of physical pleasure, of the pleasure of the flesh, in and of itself, is, 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 it's not rewarding. There's no real value there. So what happens then is people start looking for, they start looking for, it for some kind of purpose but being hedonistic narcissists, much of our youth, they're looking for moral purity without having to actually do anything. Now, how do you get moral purity without having to actually do anything? Well, you follow the moral purity of other people when they tell you that you can be moral without doing anything. So the WEF, for example, sees the United States as a large land mass that other than having perhaps some specific geographic characteristics is largely indistinguishable from any other land mass of similar size. Our youth, along with the WEF, see themselves as steward of the land. They've made this new kind of, of, of quasi-religion of, of Mother Earth, Mother Nature. And, uh, and in addition to worshiping themselves, you know, they start to kind of worship that. But the thing is that they don't really have anything to replace, for example, fossil fuels with. Anybody who has done any research on, on, on energy grids knows that solar and wind 
aren't going to cut the mustard. You simply can't run a, a modern society on that. But what you can do is you can allow America's youth to run off into the streets and to explore their hedonistic pleasures, burning down buildings, for example, and uh, and, and pouring canned soup on, on on the world's greatest paintings in support of getting rid of of this in this in support of WEF things. And all they're doing is protesting, and they're looting, and they're rioting, they're giving in to their hedonistic behavior, and they're being told that that makes them morally virtuous. I don't think many of our youth know that the WEF says that the world can only support about 500 million people, that a larger population, of larger global population than about 500 million people will cause harm to the world, the natural environment, uh, that the natural environment cannot easily absorb, and, and so they want to get rid of that. They think human beings are uniquely evil because, uh, unique to all creatures, we adapt the world to our needs rather than adapting our needs to the world. And they want us to live like other creatures, adapting our needs to the world around us and not adapting the world to our needs. So they want to radically reduce the number of people that there are. One of the easiest ways to do that is reduce the amount of food we can produce and to take us away from being uh, a world of energy abundance and, and make us a world of energy scarcity. They can make us poor by, get, by taking away access to cheap and affordable energy. They can make us poor by making food radically more expensive. That's what they're doing, and our youth are going along with this because they're not being asked to actually come up with ways to have abundant energy uh, with, without fossil fuels. No, all they have to do is go out in the street and protest. All they have to understand is the joy of shoplifting. They get immediate gratification by by doing hedonistic things in the streets, rioting, looting, etc., and uh, and they're told this makes them virtuous people. Now the WF believes that mankind is in inherent conflict with nature, and their view for mankind to be free, Mother Nature must be in chains, and thus Americans who consider themselves free are slaveholders of Mother Earth. For Mother Earth to be to be free, the people must be in chains. Now, our youth don't see the chains that they're being asked to put on and to put on the rest of us. All they see are promises of free food, free health care, free housing, free education, all these free things. And what they don't seem to understand is that throughout human history, who gets everything for free? Now, in America, you get paid for your labor, you go out, you buy those things. You don't get them for free. They're abundant, they're cheap. We can afford housing, we can afford food, we can afford these things because they're cheap and abundant. But you don't just you don't get them for free. You have to have a job. You have to open a business. You have to do something to be able to have the money to pay for them. The only places on earth where those things are truly free, uh, they're only provided free to those people who are not paid for their labor. Under socialism, you know, you're not paid for your labor. Under communism, you're not paid for your labor, and you supposedly get those things for free. Uh, you get those things for free when you're a slave. Slaves get those things for free because you have to keep the slave alive. You don't pay the slave. Therefore, whatever of those things they get, you get for free. And I don't think our youth understand that's what they're being asked for. That's what they're supporting. And they're asking for that through an organization that wants to get rid of about 90% of us. And then you get people like Bill Maher, crazy Bill Maher. You know, this guy will talk about the woke mind virus. He will talk about how he hates all of this woke stuff. And then he gleefully praises a Democrat winning in the House in New York last week and says the Democrats have successfully flipped the script the script illegal immigration, making it look to the public like illegal immigration is suddenly the fault of Republicans. To, to Bill Maher, that's a big win, by the way, because 
all he cares about is winning. He will talk about how bad wokeism is, and then he will he will he will gleefully uh, uh, he will gleefully talk about how the, the the left has flipped the script, and now even though they're woke and they're destroying the United States of America, they're still going to win the election, stay in power, and. You know, it's, it's crazy, but he seems to think that the right thing to do is to take the people that are destroying our country and keep them in power. And, and, and that uh, as much as he will put down the wokeism, he still wants us to vote for the woke. But what we have to understand as a country, and this is getting into the conclusion, the United States is dying, and it's not because of Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, the Federal Reserve, or the World Economic Forum. It's because of the hedonistic narcissism of our youth and the WEF tapping into that getting our youth to try to destroy the country. And, and, and not just our country, but Canada's further along than we are. Western Europe is further along. Australia, uh, we're part of a Western society that is quite literally committing suicide. Between that, Sue and Settle, and, uh, and all the propaganda, such as we talked about with the Atlantic, that's the greatest threat to our country. That's what we have to focus on. That's what we have to worry about. And so on cutting through the chaos, we've cut through some of the chaos today, I've given you some of the, the out loud truth. And uh, in conclusion, ladies and gentlemen, we got through everything I wanted to cover. And, and so, you know, what we have to do now is, is we have to tell others who might be interested in cutting through the chaos to listen in either on Saturday or Sunday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or on podcast whenever they have the time. And uh, once again, it's time to get involved, to get loud on America Out Loud. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen. That's our show. And I will see you next time.